step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, Dr. Ross Green here, along with my co-host, Susie Porton. I'm coming to you live from the offices of Lives in the Balance. Susie is coming to you live from upstate New York, and we're here to do the second-to-last segment of Parenting Your Challenging Child for 2015. Susie, how are you today? Good, thanks. How are you? I am tired, but... um, that's okay. I was in Sweden last week and will be in Alaska and Oregon this week. But then I'm done traveling for the year, and I'm not one to complain. It was great to have so many people in Malmo, Sweden, hearing about collaborative and proactive solutions last week. And it will be great to have people in Alaska and Oregon hearing about collaborative and proactive solutions this week. Um so that's why I'm tired. But one never gets tired of helping people know about collaborative and proactive solutions. That's right. Um, but here we are on Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, as usual, doing our Parenting Your Challenging Child program. If people would like to call in, and we have a caller already, but if people want to call in, that number is 347-994-2981. And please press 1. Susie, anything to start with today before we turn to our caller? Uh, I just wanted to mention that Lives in the Balance and the GEAR Parent Support Network will be sponsoring a parents' training in Ellsworth, Maine on January 25th, and you can sign up um, under What's New uh, on the website. And also, Dr. Green, just you're published in many different languages and work in many countries. Are there any cultural differences that affect how Plan B works? Not that I've noticed. Um, mm-hmm. There are some people. I don't want to say cultures because there's different. There's no one even within a culture. There's people with, who have different mentalities about parenting kids. But there's no question that there are some people. Who are who feel more strongly about Plan A as parents than others do, um, but I find that everywhere. And um, sometimes that's more ingrained, stereotypically at least, in a particular culture than in in, in some than in others. Um, but for example, there's no Swedish culture of parenting. There's people in Sweden who are much more inclined toward plan B. There are those who are much more inclined toward plan A. I would say that if I had to stereotype Sweden is a less 
is less oriented toward plan A in general than some other places are, and there are places that are more oriented toward plan A than they are in other places. But um, you know what? What I always learn, no matter what culture I'm in, is that people, kids included, want to feel heard, and people, kids included, want to make sure their concerns are addressed, and everybody's scared of having their concerns blown off the table, and that frequently leads them to deal with each other in ways that are too powerful, too unilateral. Um, I find that no matter where I've been. Now, mm-hmm. I haven't been everywhere. But um, it sure does seem like I've been a lot of places. Yes, you have. We'll see what Alaska is like. I've not been there before. I've been to Oregon many times, although not lately. Um, but we'll see what Alaska's like um, when I'm talking with some of the folks who work in some of their restrictive therapeutic facilities and folks who oversee their system of juvenile detention tomorrow and on Wednesday before mm-hmm. shut, hustling off to Oregon to speak on Thursday, and then I'll be back in Maine on Friday. Wow. Well, Shall we turn to our caller? Yes, let's. Let's do it. Caller from area code 508. That's a familiar area code to me. But you're on the air. How are you today? Maybe not. Area code 508, are you there? No. We don't have a caller, Susie. So oh. let me give back the call number again, 347-994-2981. So as we do not have a caller, press one. Let, thank you, and press 1. <laughs> um, let's turn our attention to some email, shall we? Sure. Here we go. This is a mom who wants some help. This is a recent one. I have two children, my 16-year-old daughter and my 8-year-old son. When my daughter was growing up, she was diagnosed with ADHD, and she was a handful. She destroyed anything she touched. It was really hard when she was 8 because I became pregnant with my son. Before he was born, we almost lost him. He was hospitalized for failure to thrive He was placed into speech by age two and a half, and the doctors stated they could not and would not state if or to what extent there was any damage done from the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck. He had seizures. He was and still is delayed. When my son was about three to four years old, he was diagnosed with oppositional defiant disorder. He went on medication, but it was doing more harm than good appetite-wise, so he took away the meds and changed his diet, and it worked great. When he started school, it slowly began to get difficult again, so I took him to a doctor who diagnosed him with ADHD and not ODD. So he has been on several medications since then, and finally my husband and I made the decision not to continue to change, increase, or continue with medications after around the sixth time we want to make a change. We changed his diet, followed a routine the best we could, and now we are so over our heads we need help. My son told his teacher something very, very bad. I have a conference set for tomorrow. Now, this email was sent, I think we're a little too late for tomorrow because this email was sent four days ago. What and where can I turn to for help? I have a feeling after reading the articles, both of my children suffer from ADHD and ODD. 
It was like you were describing my children. I love them both, but I am in fear of losing them both. Can you help me figure out our next step? Um, I would really appreciate a push in the right direction. All right. Uh, this sounds tough. Two behaviorally challenging kids, eight years apart, one now 16, one now eight. Uh, the eight-year-old has some interesting things that have been going on from the word go, but it sounds like the 16-year-old has been difficult from the word go as well. Like many parents, you have tried many different things, medication, diet, structure, um, so it's a little bit hard for me to say where to start, but the place that I think I would probably hmm, weigh in on first is I don't think I would be so oriented toward diagnosis. It doesn't sound like, and this is true for many parents, of behaviorally challenging kids. Um, I don't think I would be so place much faith in a diagnosis to help us understand what's really getting in the way for your son or your daughter, and what problems can be solved so that those difficult episodes that are so common in kids diagnosed with oppositional defiant disorder are not so common. But kids who have oppositional defiant disorder only look like they have oppositional defiant disorder when there is an expectation they're having difficulty meeting. If there's no expectation they're having difficulty meeting, they don't look like they have oppositional defiant disorder, which is why I tell people a lot of these kids are best characterized as us saying that they have only part-time oppositional defiant disorder. Um, if you only have part-time oppositional defiant disorder, then the key to the issue is not the diagnosis, but the problems that are causing the behaviors that are setting in motion challenging episodes. In the CPS model, those are called unsolved problems. And that's going to be information. Lagging skills. Kids with ADHD are all lacking skills. But ADHD doesn't tell you what skills they're lacking, not specific to your child. Uh, kids with ADHD and oppositional defiant disorder have unsolved problems, expectations they're having difficulty meeting. But the labels, ADHD and ODD, do not help you identify what those expectations are, nor do they help you know what to do next. What to do next is to start solving those problems collaboratively and proactively, which is why the name of the model is Collaborative and Proactive Solutions. The best way to get started on that, and that doesn't mean that your kids don't need medicine. I can't tell. They seems like they've been on quite a few. So one question is whether you need a new medication person, if medication is going to do your kids any good. I have no idea. Obviously, on this program, we don't meet the kids. We don't do a comprehensive evaluation. So we can only speak to how the model CPS would be applied to your children. But to get the CPS model rolling, you want to get on the Lives in the Balance website, and you've been on there already because that's how you contacted us and sent in this question. Take the walking tour for parents if you haven't already. Get the lenses of the model first. You'll get that in streaming video. Then learn how to use the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. That's segment number two in the walking tour. And then start solving problems collaboratively and proactively. But... Um, the lenses are crucial, so that's the place to start. 
At some point, though, you're going to need the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, and that's on the website as well. You're going to need your list, lagging skills and expectations your kids are having difficulty meeting. And then you're going to need section number three, now that I know what these problems are, and since I know I can't work on them all at once because the likelihood, mom, is that there's going to be quite a few lagging skills and quite a few unsolved problems, can't fix everything at once, got to prioritize. But then you're going to start working on your high-priority unsolved problems, and those are going to be the way you start getting good at plan B, right along with your kids, and start solving problems, right along with your kids. And there's the answer to where do I start. Now, let's say you go through all of that, or even before you go through all of that, and you're feeling like you would like to have somebody guide you through the process. Well, there may not be somebody in your area. There may be somebody in your area. You can find a list of providers on the CPS Connection website. That's cpsconnection.com. If there's no one in your area, you may be on your own, and you may have to rely on this radio program for help, but you are welcome to call in anytime. And that's the best I can do on where should you start. But all those diagnoses haven't gotten you very far so far. Maybe they're not going to. Maybe it's time to start viewing these kids through the prism of lagging skills and unsolved problems. Susie, I bet you have some additional guidance to offer. Um, well, I'm agreeing with everything that you said. Um, just wanted to point out that it's a family problem and not pathologize the child. Um, you know, in the beginning, after you've made your list, there are usually lots of unsolved problems, and try not to get overwhelmed um, because at least you know what you're dealing with. Um, to make an appointment with the child in a calm moment so that you can work hopefully 15 minutes a day on the unsolved problem. Um, having the right lenses on, as you say, is is so important. Um, seeing this as a developmental delay, a learning disability of sorts. Um, that's what I wanted to add. All right. Uh, let's move on to another email. We do not have any other callers, so let's do this one. I just started reading The Explosive Child, and I feel so thankful that I happened to see it on Facebook. We have been struggling for months now with our youngest son, who is almost four. I agree with everything in your book that I've read so far. It makes so much sense to me. I'm just now getting to the specific Plan B steps, but it seems like the examples in the book are all older children. I guess I'm wondering, is he too young? He is a bright, funny, very active boy who has become increasingly hard to handle at home. He's become much more physical, hitting me, my husband, and his five-year-old brother at times because of unsolved problems, but sometimes it seems for no reason. Calling us names at times, but then on a dime wanting me to hold and hug him. He attends a Mother's Day Out program two days a week, and so far I haven't had any complaints this year. I feel like we are at a crossroads and desperate to change our bad habits in dealing with his frustrating behavior. 
Let's see if we can help this mom, Susie. Um, the first thing I would say about this is that um, keep reading. I'm glad you've made it to the specific Plan B steps. Here's what's amazing about the examples in the book. I have people who tell me, who ask me if the exam, if the book, uh, if the model applies to older kids, because the examples seem like they are so much for younger kids. And I have people who tell me that the examples seem to be for older kids and wonder if the model is appropriate for younger kids. So I don't. I have to take a much closer look at the examples. I actually can't remember what age range they're in, but what I can tell this mom is that Plan B really doesn't look a whole lot different, whether you're doing it with a 3- or 4-year-old or a 17-year-old. 3- and 4-year-olds have unsolved problems. Three- and four-year-olds have concerns about those unsolved problems. Some three- and four-year-olds are able to express those concerns, and others need us to be creative in trying to figure out what their concerns are if they don't have the words or if they're not having an easy time to express it. But I would say the exact same thing about many of these 16- and 17-year-olds that I've worked with. So chronological age is not a make-or-break issue there. Um, Adults still have concerns about those unsolved problems, whether the kid is 4 or 17. And solutions need to be mutually satisfactory and realistic, whether the child is 4 or 17. Plan B really doesn't look a whole lot different, whether a child is 4 or 11 or 15 or 17, except sort of on the fringes. You might talk in a somewhat less sophisticated way with a three- or four-year-old, but i got to tell you, there's 16- and 17-year-olds that I've spoken to in a less sophisticated way because that's just where they were at. And there were three- or four-year-olds who I spoke to in a rather sophisticated way because that's where they were at. So I guess the main point here is I wouldn't focus so much on chronological age. Um, Four-year-olds have unsolved problems. Four-year-olds have concerns about those unsolved problems. And four-year-olds can participate in solving the problems that affect their lives. So that's my thought. The fact that he is bright, funny, those things are going to work in your favor because it sounds like he's got some great stuff going for him. Um, Calling people names is not unusual as what kids do when they are faced with an unmet expectation. Hitting's not so unusual either. Thankfully, you're still at the believe it or not relatively mild end of the spectrum. I am very happy that your son still wants you to hold and hug him. Don't stop doing that, even if his challenging behaviors continue to tell you that there are lots of expectations he's having difficulty meeting. Those hugs are going to be really important, even as you're in the process of getting those unsolved problems solved. Hugs aren't going to help you solve them. Hugs are what you do in the middle uh, of solving them. So I'm glad you're at a crossroads. I'm glad you want to change your old bad habits. Keep reading the book, and I hope the Lives in the Balance website, especially the walking tour for parents, is a great help to you. Now, Susie, you've been at the crossroads before. Any guidance for this, Mom? Uh, I would try to keep your explanations simple and short, depending on how verbal your son is. Um. Make sure that you prioritize 
two or three problems that you want to work on first. And if that's too much, pick one or two unsolved problems. In our family's case, we only worked on one unsolved problem, and my son was older. Um, to fill out the ALSUP, the Assessment of Lagging Skills and Unsolved Problems, um, you don't have to say it perfectly. What's important is you're trying to understand your child's perspective or concern on the unsolved problem. You're building a relationship with your child while solving problems together. Make sure that you're being proactive and making an appointment to talk in a quiet moment, not when things are heated. Um, you know, there is emergency plan B to help you out, but proactive plan B is always preferable. And then I just love your new book, The Adventures of Stretch More, by Drs. Epstein and Green. Is a uh, very useful resource for younger children, and it's available on the CPS Connection website. Susie, you are so good at remembering all of these things that I forget. I um, (laughs) never remember to recommend The Adventures of Stretch More. It's just not, I tend not to be in book mode. Mm-hmm. And you're also great at reminding people of the uh, special trainings that we do for parents. Um, and there will be more. We had a slightly slow year for that this past year, but I'm very aware of many that are coming up in 2016. And once again, those will be posted in the What's New section of the Lives in the Balance website when they are finalized. I know there's one coming up in Ontario. When is that? Uh, I think it's in the fall next year, but I quite honestly can't remember. And there's a few others in the pipeline. Um, So those are posted in the What's New section on the Lives in the Balance website, also in the workshops and training section of the Lives in the Balance website. Susie, we have a caller. Great. Here we go. Area code 905, you're on the air. What's up today? Hi, Ross. Hi, Susie. Um, My name is Rania, and I've spoken to you, Ross, a number of times in the past. Um, Just preface my question, first of all, by saying that I listen to you guys religiously, obviously with the caveat that I sometimes don't have the luxury of listening in when it's live on the air, Um, but um, um, I'm often accessing the archive program. So just your insight and your flexibility into, you know, the information that you provide around educators and parents and their challenging students or challenging children is just so helpful. Thank you. Uh, My question, you're welcome. My question is in regards to a student that I'm dealing with, and I know this is a parent's panel exclusively, so it's for parents to call in as opposed to educators. And I don't know if, um, I should be calling back in the educators panel, or we can still kind of tack down my question. Um, let's, let's do it because we're not doing an educators program this month because of my travel oh, okay. schedule, and so okay. you'd have to wait until January. And I don't want you to have to wait this long. And truth is, I always find that although the unsolved problems at school are different, and although there are some things that are a little bit different about doing Plan B at school, at least on the fringes. There's not that much difference. So let's go ahead. Okay, so I'll give you a little bit of, of context around the student. 
um, or rather our first meeting. Um, and just, just don't has... use any names. Don't use any names okay. or locations. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. So we're currently using with the student, um, can I say her first initial or would you rather not? Let's not, can let's I... not do anything okay, identifying. Okay, let's not. Okay. Okay. So we're using the collaborative and proactive solutions approach with her. And our first, we you know, finished the LSEP, we did the LSEP, and we prioritized what unsolved problem we were moving ahead with. Our first meeting focused on um, the unsolved problem of we've noticed you have difficulty moving from Mr. McClure's class, sorry, and identifying Oops, information. There you go. To <laughs> <laughs> to French. And she really delighted us with fruitful information like, I'm hungry, it takes a longer time for me to get dressed than everyone else. If someone's talking to me, um, that, that slows her down. Uh, French is boring. My brain and body can't work at the same time. So lots of information, and I did a lot of pauses because I'm a type of person who tends to like to talk. Um, and so I drilled for information for the one where she talks about the connection between her brain and body. And her response was, I'm different than anyone, everyone else, you know, and sometimes my brain, when it's thinking, my body can't do other things. And then I, so I decided to give another long pause because I, at that point I was really um, perplexed about what to ask next. And I didn't want to ask something that was overly convoluted or was going to set her into another direction. Now, remember, we had started with difficulty with moving from homeroom to French. Mm-hmm. Um, she said sometimes she articulated how her brain sometimes makes her see talents about others that she may not have, and that causes her to become angry and jealous. And truly, according to her teaching team, that she can be very self-deprecating. This has been a long-standing concern with her on a daily basis, calls herself a freak and a murderer, and the jealousy will often manifest itself into physical acting out behavior. So so my question is that I know that this supersedes, this unsolved problem supersedes the transitioning from a homeroom to French because that's a problem that can be solved with some environmental accommodations or some possibly some verbal reminders now and then. It's not something that gets in the way on a frequent basis. Now, so my question, I'm going to be meeting with her again on the 15th with the VP present and the teacher. And we're going to try to tack down this unsolved problem around um, difficulty when another student's art is presented. And that's one of the unsolved problems that we've come up with around this cognitive distortion piece or lack of flexibility. But my, my worry is, or my fear is that I'm going to be going into this conversation and she's going to articulate some things that around how her brain is different and how her you know her biological makeup is different. She does have Turner syndrome as well mm-hmm. uh in addition to autism. And um she's substantially smaller than other children her own size. So my question really it really pertains to we're going to delve into this situation where you know she's having difficulty when someone else is put on a pedestal or someone else is praised for their efforts and why that's hard. Um, and and I'm, I'm going to get a sense that she's going to say, well, you know, my brain sometimes works differently. But I'm just wondering if there's something that can be said about those kinds of comments. I, I mean, I guess I'm kind of looking for some guidance, I guess. 
around around that. Obviously, there's a little bit of an unknown, though, with not knowing what she's going to say. <laughs> but, you know, with with me even freezing up around what to say next to in order to garner the information that I'd like to have, I guess. So Got it. Happy to help. So I don't know if you are familiar with the drilling cheat sheet. I am. Good. So there are eight drilling strategies. And the drilling strategy that occurs to me to use, it sounds like you want to be prepared for what she says, but you don't know what she's going to say. But if a kid says it's because the way my brain is wired that I think differently, um, we don't know what she means by that. It's not specific enough. And the drilling strategy that um, makes the most sense to me on that, if I don't have a clue about what the kid is saying, is reflective listening. I see. So your brain is wired differently, and so you think differently. I'm not exactly sure what you mean by that. Can you tell me more? Um, no one, uh, who knows what she's been told about her condition uh, and in what terms it's been presented to her as a child so that she can understand why, for example, she might be smaller and why, for example, she um, is thinking the way she is. Um, but that shouldn't deter you, nor should you think um, that just because she says that, you should know exactly what she means. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what she means, which means mm-hmm. that i got to drill. That's what drilling's for. Um, I find, and I'm not saying you're doing this, but I find that we adults feel like we should know what the kid is saying, even though we have no idea what the kid means by what they're saying. And uh, reflective listening is the absolute perfect drilling strategy under those conditions. So what I'd like to hear more about is, and who knows, this is where we're going to find out if there's any meat on the bone, to tell you the truth. First of all, I'd like to hear what she means that her brain is wired differently. And there may not be much meat on that bone because um, most kids don't have an in-depth knowledge of how their brain is wired. And to tell you the truth, most adults don't either. So often that <laughs> comes up without a whole lot more uh, more information. However, right. the thinking part, the thinking part she can give you information about. And the truth is, the cool part is, she's told you a little bit about how she's thinking. So while I might go for more information to see what she's thinking about how her brain is wired differently, um, if I had to guess, you're not going to get a whole lot further than what you have now. But I think mm-hmm. you will get a whole lot further on the what she's thinking part. And that's the part you probably want to drill the most on. Although you might get something interesting on how her brain is wired in terms of her own interpretation of her brain and the degree to which she thinks that the syndrome, Turner's syndrome, uh, affects her and causes differences between her and other kids. So there could be something interesting there. But I think that the most interesting thing is going to be – go ahead, sorry – no, I was just gonna. I was just gonna ask. You know, should we be calling attention to uh, the Turner syndrome piece? Because only if she does. Only if only she does. she does first. Okay. Yeah, I mean, okay. I don't. I'm I'm uh, making a leap, and I this is me theorizing, which of course I should not be doing. Um, but she, she may be referring 
indirectly to Turner's syndrome when she says that her brain is wired differently. There's lots of kids who say their brain is wired differently, though, um, and either they think that for some interesting reason or they've been told that by adults who are trying to explain something to them. Um, I don't know if she's connecting it to Turner's syndrome or not. There's kids who don't have Turner's syndrome who say that kind of thing all the time. But what I usually find is that when kids are talking about that their brain is wired differently, they often can't go a whole lot further than that. What Mm -hmm. they can go further on is their thinking. And we've got some really enticing leads here on how she's thinking. And it involves, as you're telling us, things that she's said already. She's doing some self-deprecating. She's doing some thinking about how other people are better at certain things than she is. And I think that's going to go to the heart of the revised unsolved problem that you're going to be talking with her about next, which was difficulty when XYZ student presents her art project to the class. So I'm just saying I think you're going to get a whole lot further with the thinking than you are going to with the brain wiring but the mm-hmm. drilling strategy, you don't, you don't have to have like this really well-conceived line of questions ready to rock and roll before you even hear what she has to say. Those drilling strategies are all you need and the one that makes the most sense to me given what, if, if she says what you think she's going to say, is reflective right. listening. And as I always say, you can right. do an entire empathy step just with reflective listening. I think it's going to take you far. What are your thoughts? I like that idea, and I like that there's some paperwork attached to the reflective listening piece um, that we can I, that I can kind of mull over. But I'm I know sometimes not sometimes I know frequently the empathy step involves answering the who, what, where, when, and sometimes how. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong. In the situation where we're talking about her thinking, do we want to ask her questions about? that pertain to the, the the WH? Or would it not be, at that point, it wouldn't necessarily be part of that strategy of reflective listening? I guess that's what I'm asking. Um, my take on it is that you want to hear about what she has to say about the specifics of her concerns related to when XYZ student is presenting her art project in class. Um, It feels to me like if you went with W questions, and I I don't usually talk about how, but I usually do talk about who, what, where, when, would broaden it unnecessarily at the moment because we already know who and we already know what and we already know when. All of that was actually part of the unsolved problem. Um, And so I wouldn't broaden it until I felt like I had an understanding of the particular unsolved problem you asked about, and who, what, where, when feels like it would broaden it in ways that you don't want to do, at least in the beginning. I think reflective listening, and which is strategy number one on the drilling cheat sheet, what are you thinking, which is strategy number three on the drilling cheat sheet, I think those are going to be your major players in drilling for information on this particular unsolved problem. But of course, that's me predicting without having the slightest idea where it's going to go. It's just that on that unsolved problem right in the beginning, I'm not sure W questions are going to be your best bet. Okay. Okay, that sounds good. No, that's helpful for sure. And as you, you know, as you 
um, reinforced that the unsolved problem had all the WH questions answered already, so Correct. or the ones that at least were were helpful. So that's that's really that's really helpful um, that I can um, access the um, the drilling sheet in the uh, paperwork section of the Lives in the Balance. So that would be really helpful. Um, that's where it is to go over. Perfect. Awesome. That's Good great. to hear Thanks, from Ross. you. You should call in any time, and you should um, please call in and give us an update. I will, definitely. Thanks again. Happy Good. holidays. Merry Christmas. Whatever Thank you celebrate, you. Uh, happy Hanukkah. Uh-huh. Um, whatever you. Thank you, you for um, listening. Oh, no worries. Thanks, Susie. And Merry Christmas or happy holidays to you as well. Thanks. Could I just say one quick thing? Of course. Um, I, it's kind of a minor point, but here goes. Just to, when kids are hungry, um, especially uh, inflexible children, um, you want to try to avoid those situations where they become starving. So also it might be helpful to, you know, teach her to have some snacks that she can have at school um, so that she doesn't get to that point. I know um, I tried to avoid situations where my own son was starving. You know, Mm -hmm. they all have their own needs. Of course. Um, But hunger was important. Mm -hmm. For sure. Thanks for that. Mm -hmm. There you go. Okay, great. Ron, Thanks so much. Care. Have a lovely lovely day. Talk to you soon. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. Well, I think we have time for one more, and we're going to take an email since I'm not seeing any callers. Here's one more. Mm-hmm. My son was placed in special education in third grade. He was happy and very outgoing. In seventh grade, he radically changed. He withdrew, had insomnia, depression, refused to go to school. School school put him on probation twice. After 12 months of continuous stress, we find out he has dyslexia and dyspraxia. The school environment created an emotional problem. I do not know how to help him. He is not responding to me with homeschooling, punishment, negativity, and limitation were the tool the school used with my kid. Now what? How can I assist my 14-year-old? How can I rewire his brain and beliefs? All right. Sounds like we missed something. Sounds like something was missed. Whether that completely explains why in seventh grade he began withdrawing, had insomnia and depression, and refusing to go to school, we do not know and cannot answer on this program. It is good to now know that he had some learning issues that people did not know about. Um, Nobody knew about it. And it sounds like because of his behaviors, punishment, negativity, and limit setting were the tools that were used with your kid. Regrettably, all of that is a pretty common scenario. Sometimes we miss stuff, and sometimes because of behaviors, we do stuff that is counterproductive. So now we've gotten to the crux of the issue. We now have a 14-year-old who's been through all of that. Now what? Well, um, 
the big question is, uh, if a, would, if, would your son respond to a switch, front, not, not a switch like, you know, the old kind of switch, but switching, I should say, from what he got, punishment, negativity, and limit setting, to something else? Uh, would he respond to um, knowing that there are lagging skills that explain a lot of the difficulties he's been having all along? and that there are specific problems that could be solved if he was willing to participate in the process. Now, mom's not saying anything here about the current school situation, except I think it looks like it's homeschooling. But it sounds like he has crapped out. The big question is, can mom get him back on her own, or is she going to need some help? Mom, if you need some help, I'm hoping, and I don't know where you're located, that one of our certified practitioners on the CPS Connection website will be able to help you. That's cpsconnection.com. If not, you're probably going to have to rely on this program or the website and or the website or another mental health professional who's not on the CPS Connection website. What we're looking to do is get your kid talking again and get your kid participating in solving the problems that affect his life. I do not think your goal is to rewire his brain. I think that his beliefs will change when he comes to recognize that adults are helpers and that the problems that have been affecting him for a very long time can be understood and can be solved, but only with his participation. I hope there's a provider in your area. If not, I hope there's a great clinician in your area. If not, I hope the Lives in a Balance website and this radio program are helpful to you. That might be about as far as we can take you because, once again, this program does not substitute for a comprehensive assessment. I can't tell if now that we know about the dyslexia and dyspraxia, the, a comprehensive assessment has now been done or if we're still waiting for it but it sounds to me like that might be a very good idea, too, if it hasn't already been done. Now, Susie, you have some experience with kids who've had a hard time, um, weren't well understood, and then got on board with helping to solve the problems that affect their lives. My bet is that you have some two cents to add here, too. My two cents is that by following the CPS approach, you are gradually rebuilding a relationship with your child. When you show them that you're trying to understand, that's huge. Um, you know, you're you're solving. You're not enemies. You're solving problems that have been causing challenging behavior for quite a long time. Um, you know, punishment and limitation don't teach lagging skills and unsolved problems, or solve problems, excuse me, um, that this is another disability, a learning disability of sorts, a developmental delay. And, yes, it took a while to get the Plan B ball rolling, um, you know, and it takes a while sometimes for the child to participate in a Plan B conversation. But 
try not to get discouraged, and um, there's always hope. That's the beauty of the model is that it always gives us hope. There you have it. And I think there we have it for today's program, Susie. All right. Any last thoughts before we head into the week? And then next week, our last program of 2015. Any final thoughts before we call it a day? Um, well, I did. Uh, I saw something the other day I wanted to bounce off of you. In the school that I volunteer of, one of the teachers is doing a consequence-type approach to challenging behavior, and I was wondering what you thought of it. The children are given a certain number of sticks at the beginning of the day, and the teacher takes them away if the child misbehaves. Also, the teacher calls out the student's name in front of the class to, quote, remind the student his or her behavior is unacceptable. They receive a reward if they have sticks at the end of the day. I'm wondering if there are potential problems with this type of consequence punishment-based approach. Well, as you might imagine, I probably do have some thoughts on that, but not in the next 37 seconds. Can you start (laughs) off the next program with that issue? Sure. Let's do it. And on that note, let's call it a day for today. Susie, thanks as always for doing this. Thank you. Have a good week. Thanks to the people who are listening and sending in emails. We'll be back next week. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.